Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. Welcome to the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's the weekly podcast about agriculture and medicine with an emphasis on biotechnology and the good things we can do for people and the planet. My name's Kevin Fulta, and today we're going to talk to Aqua Bounty. We haven't talked to them since 2015, and back then they were ready to share a complete and finished technology that was simply winding its way through some rather laborious um, regulatory hurdles. And this last uh, week or two, we've seen some of those resolve. And I have with me today, Sylvia Wolf, and she's the president and CEO of Aquabounty Technologies. And welcome to the podcast, Sylvia. Thank you so much, Kevin. Yeah, this is really exciting for me because when we open the podcast, I talk about technologies that can help people and the planet. And this one to me has been so frustrating to watch from the outside because here's a technology that to sustainably farm a high protein resource is something that that is has so many important uh, benefits. So let's start from the beginning and talk about where this idea to create the genetically engineered salmon began. It began with research at a university in Canada in the um, early 80s. And the intent was, how can we ensure that salmon grow year-round? Um, so that was the genesis, and it was almost 30 years ago. And I, as I remember that, you know, salmon exhibit this kind of seasonal growth pattern that really was uh, driven by the, by the presence of the growth hormone. And so the idea would be take out the seasonality, right? And so, so do, you, do you know about the exact genes that were engineered and, and how the first fishes were, um, were designed? Um, so let me preface by saying I'm a commercial person, not a scientist, and I don't have a technical background. So what I've asked the team to do for me, because they are really excellent at what they do and um, highly technical, is what they explained to me was the Atlantic salmon has 40,000 genes. And what the research showed was they extracted the growth hormone gene from a Chinook and implanted it into the gene structure, genetic structure of the Atlantic salmon. And then they have a regulator from an ocean pout, which they explained to me is really just the on-off switch for growth um, that allows that Atlantic salmon to grow year round. And what that does is it accelerates the growth of the Atlantic salmon. So it grows in half the time of a traditional Atlantic salmon. And it's the St. John's strain that uh, was used as the species um, in the original work, in the original uh, research. Yeah. And, and, and I should also preface that if people are really interested in this, you can go back to talking biotech number eight, um, four years ago, when we actually did talk about a lot of the nuts and bolts. So if that's the main thing you're interested in, um, to check there, what I really wanted to focus on today was much more the current situation and the um, deregulation. 
And before we get to that, though, let's talk about some of the advantages of this. And why is this particular fish more sustainable than, let's just say, wild fishing in natural populations? So the sustainability stems from the fact that this salmon is going to be grown in a land-based recirculating aquaculture system. And what that allows us to do is um, to provide production or provide those fish close to the point of consumption. So currently, um, farm salmon is typically done in ocean um, cages or net pens off the coast of Chile, Canada, and Norway. And that that type of farm salmon has its challenges because clearly those salmon are exposed to the wild. Um, and so, you know, they're, they have risk of disease, predators, et cetera. And, and to ensure that they grow, you know, a lot of that is treated, which um, places a little bit of a strain on the oceans. And when we think about wild caught, there are quotas involved to ensure that we continue to have the population of wild caught necessary to ensure preservation of the species. And so the, the opportunity here is, is really threefold. We grow close to consumption in a land-based recirculating aquaculture system. So we're recirculating that water. The salmon is contained so that it um, is protected from disease. So no antibiotics. And, and lastly, it's a fresher product um, provided to the consumer because it's grown so close to where consumption takes place. And all of that is really great. I think that the uh, ability to produce in, in these kinds of very controlled environments lends a lot of great advantages towards sustainability and fish health, and which, which is a significant issue in, in these um, farmed populations and like, you know, big open ocean pens, things like that. The, the fact that you can control this better is really important. But here's the big issue for that a lot of people bring up is that how are how are the fish protected and not able to escape where they could eventually affect a wild population potentially? Absolutely. Well, that is certainly um, one of the big considerations for our approvals in Canada and the U.S. And as I said, these fish are really intended to grow in a land-based system. And so we have a very biosecure environment with all kinds of um, containment insurance, so ensuring that those fish are not able to uh, get out even in the recirculation of the water. But I think more importantly, um, our eggs, when they go into our farms, are sterile. So there's a mechaniz- mechanized pressure process that in, that turns those eggs into triploids, and they can no longer reproduce. And that's that's another safeguard to ensure that these fish will never um, be able to, well, one, they're contained, so they will never be in the wild. They were never intended to be in the ocean. And two, they're sterile, so they're unable to reproduce. Yeah, it's, it's a long walk from Indiana to the ocean. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and, and, I, say, I don't think they're going to get out unless they grow legs and walk all the way either to the Pacific or the Atlantic. Yeah, no, it's, and I, I, I joke about it a little bit because it, it really is an important uh, consideration that, you know, this is, uh, there, there are many physical barriers, many of which are just the distance from natural populations that ensure that they can't combine with natural populations. And, uh, and, and so a really, really important facet of this. But the part that, that is really interesting to me is that if we go back to when this uh, process of deregulation 
started. So we talked about how this uh, was published in the 1980s, so a long time ago. When did you really start to pursue the uh, maze of deregulation? So to, the the approval process really started in the early 90s. Um, and, and remember, we are now the first bioengineered animal approved in the United States and Canada. And what that really um, created was the opportunity to collaboratively work with both regulatory bodies to create the process for approval of a bioengineered animal since it had never been done before. And that's part of the reason that um, the regulatory process took so long, almost 15 years, because we needed to make sure that we were doing all of the testing on multiple generations uh, to ensure you know, that the food was safe to, to eat, safe for the fish, and safe for the environment. And both um, the the regulatory bodies, the FDA and um, Health Canada, did a lot of work to ensure the safety um, prior to approval. And so I applaud both of those regulatory bodies for their thoroughness. Uh, and they really worked collaboratively with us to ensure that we did all of the right studies and testing um, necessary for them to be confident that uh, they could approve the product. No, that's really, uh, it really is important. And I'm glad that there is, in, in a way, I can see more oversight and more restriction being a good thing in that it limits the, uh, there's nobody who can say this was a rubber stamp. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> and so what kind of tests had to be performed? I mean, were there a lot of, you know, uh, feeding trials and that kind of thing that were done? feeding trials, you know, looking at allergenicity, looking at the composition of the product, comparing it to Atlantic salmon, um, you know, looking at multi-generations so that you see you're, they were sure that, in fact, there was nothing that changed generation to generation. Um, so there was a whole host of studies which are all available should your uh, listeners want to learn more. That's great. And, and which, which countries have deregulated this? Is it just the U.S. and Canada at this point? It is. Canada and the U.S. Uh, have approved the product. Um, it, Canada in 2016 and the U.S. in 2015. And is there any other uh, place that's currently looking at it for deregulation? Absolutely. We're talking to um, a number of other countries and we have field trials that are going on in Brazil currently. We think that Brazil um, could be an excellent place to build these uh, aquaculture farms um, to raise salmon. We think that um, China could be a really good market, and they're very technology um, savvy and friendly, although we will have to go through a regulatory process with them. But then um, when you think about countries like Israel that import all of their salmon, they also are pursuing, you know, the stated approval for our product. Yeah, this is like really right up Israel's alley. I mean, they, <laughs> you talk about a place that really likes to look at innovation and ways that they could you know, use this to feed the population. Uh, I think that this is, you know, with, with something they don't have to import. I, I, I think they could be all over this. So that, that's really, that's really great. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're talking with Sylvia Wolf. She's the president and CEO of Aquabounty Technologies. We're going to take a, just a quick break here on the Talking Biotech podcast, and we'll be back in just a moment. If you've been reading on the Internet lately, you know 
that the question has been raised about how the Talking Biotech podcast is funded. I can see why. I mean, this would come up again and again. It's a high-quality, professionally-produced podcast like this. It must depend on deep pockets from some major agricultural concern. I'm not sure they're getting your sarcasm on that. Well, I, I certainly can vouch for the fact that this is a volunteer effort. As the booth announcer for the Talking Biotech podcast, I get a lousy cup of coffee and my pick of the donuts from the box that Kevin doesn't want. That's it. But that's okay. This enterprise is not about making a buck. It's about sharing science. The podcast is 100% funded by Fulda personally. And no outside funding is considered. Go ahead. Try us. Send us a check for a million dollars and see if you don't get it right back. The real payment for the effort is the flood of kind words, the growing numbers of downloads, and the great questions that we get from listeners like you. Thank you for listening. And now back to the podcast. And we're back on the Talking Biotech podcast. Today we're talking with Sylvia Wolf. She's the president and CEO of Aquabounty Technologies, who are getting very close to commercializing the world's first transgenic animal. And we've discussed quite a bit of the deregulation process and the maze that they've had to navigate to get to this point. It's a product that seems to have many positive attributes with respect to sustainability, yet uh, had to be handled very carefully as the first animal that was moving through this approval process. And I guess maybe we should touch on that a little bit more, is that why is this particular technology important as we move to more land-based farming of, uh, of ocean fish? That, you know, Kevin, that's a really important point because one of the considerations is salmon is not an easy fish to raise in a land-based system. And very few people have done it um, successfully. We've been actually operating uh, a recirculating aquaculture system for 25 years. And so this fish really fits perfectly into that type of an environment. It excel the the growth gene allows the fish to accelerate its growth in the early phases of development. So that's when mortality is highest. Um, so we're actually getting to a healthier, stable fish sooner. Uh, but what that does from an economic standpoint is these RAS um, locations are heavily capital intensive. And because we can grow in half the time, what you have is an economic proposition that makes that return on investment much, much more attractive. But I think as importantly, our feed conversion ratio for our fish, for Aqua Advantage salmon, has a 25% improvement over conventional Atlantic salmon. And what that allows us to do is actually feed it less, which reduces the waste streams. Um, those fish are much more efficient in processing their feed and the protein and the protein required. And so that's putting less strain on the environment. They're growing faster. They're processing their food more effectively and efficiently. So it's really a great story. It really is. And I, I have a hard time finding the um, dangerous edge of this. I mean, it just seems like the, the, like the biggest no-brainer in terms of being able to uh, produce a really important sustainable product. But it seemed like, at least from my optics, that even though a lot of this was evaluated and looked at very carefully for a long time, it seems like it almost was 
uh, stalled for many years. And so why did that take so long? I mean, was it, it wasn't just the need for more evidence showing its safety. And was there some sort of political wrangling or anything else that was happening with regard to the product? Yes. As a matter of fact, we did get caught up in the politics. Um, Once we received our approval, Senator Lisa Murkowski attached a rider to an appropriations bill requesting that the FDA complete the labeling requirements and guidance for our product. And we fully stand behind the safety of our product because we're confident in the regulators in the, in the United States. Um, but we were waiting for the FDA to issue guidance on how we would label to consumers. And so she stalled this out until the FDA was ready to issue that guidance. Now, let me tell you what, what took place at the end of uh, 2018. So in 2016, because obviously GMOs are getting tons of press, um, and I don't think that the typical consumer really understands what a GMO is, Congress decided rather than let states regulate labeling individually, which is really going to be a problem for a lot of companies, they took it upon themselves to create a piece of legislation, um, which is known as the National Bioengineer Dis- Foods Disclosure Act. And it was passed in a bipartisan way by Congress in 2016. That legislation was then given to the USDA to determine exactly how to label bioengineered foods, whether crop or animal. And so over the last two years, the USDA did quite a bit of work understanding uh, what the consumer wants to know about their food, how to make it easy for them to understand what's in their food. And so they did a very thorough job and issued their labeling guidance uh, at the in December of 2018. When that guidance was issued, very soon after that, um, the commissioner of the FDA was asked when they were going to release guidance on our product. And because the USDA had issued their labeling guidance, the FDA said, All requirements of the rider have been satisfied and they lifted the import alert. So we're now able to bring our, our Atlantic or our Aqua Advantage salmon into the country and begin farming in the U.S. Uh, it's great that you're able to navigate that maze. I know that the same legislation, you know, the the USDA and the bioengineered labels and all this are causing tremendous fits in the food industry, in the grocery industry. And I've been getting calls from grocery chains all over the United States, especially small ones, saying, well, if xanthan gum came from a corn product that was genetically engineered, uh, how do I label it? And how do I know if it's been from that? And I say, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that they're, but, but now they're under this um, mandate to label it. And, uh, you know, I know that's kind of getting on a, on a tangent, but, you know, I'm glad you guys were able to move through this. And so when you look at your product, how will it be labeled? Is there any idea of how that fits with these new BE labels? Certainly. It will carry, there's, the USDA has created a marketing symbol it's a it's a blue and green circle that says BE that will go on the 
the package. And if it's in the seafood case, for example, there'll be a placard that carries that. And in addition, we can add a QR code or a 1-800 number to give consumers the opportunity to call and ask more questions. And as I said, we're proud of what we've done. We think that this is so necessary to feed the world sustainably, and we stand behind the safety of our product. So we're happy to communicate to consumers that it's been bioengineered. That's very good. And I, I'm with you 100%. And when you start looking at what will ultimately be in the market, you know, in the grocery store case, will it be fresh fish or is it going to be a frozen product, maybe some sort of other processed product? I think it will be all of those. But because we're now able to grow our fish close to consumption, that freshness and quality um, because we're close to the market is really something that we want to take advantage of. And we know that consumers, um, that that resonates with consumers. And so fresh is our first opportunity. That's great. And, and when, uh, when do you th- suppose these products will be hitting the market? Uh, our plan is um, in the next few weeks to bring, to import our eggs from Canada, where our brood stock is held uh, into our farm in Indiana and begin growing that salmon. It takes roughly 18 months. So we would anticipate our first harvest in um, Q3 of 2020. Quarter three of 2020. I'm going to plan for that. (laughs) I'm going to put a big mark on the calendar and I'm going to fire up the grill and we're going to make some bioengineered salmon because I I just think this is so exciting. Do you have an idea about what the price point will be and how it would compare to either the line caught salmon or maybe the currently farmed salmon that's being imported from places like Chile? We expect the pricing to be consistent with uh, farmed Atlantic salmon. Okay, that that's pretty good. And because yeah. you know one of the, one of the big parts about your product that that really resonates for me is is that you know salmon costs a lot of money. And when I go to the grocery store, I don't always buy it because I I don't want to buy something that's you know nine dollars a pound or more. Right. Um, you know when compared to other protein sources, and I think that you know, just in terms of the, the service you could do to food insecure families who are in food deserts here in the States where the best protein product they get is hot dogs, you know, I, to be able to provide something that's accessible to them would be a huge plus. And I really see that for your product. You know, some of the feedback that we've had from potential customers, and I've been at the Boston Seafood Show um, all week, is They are really curious about the product, but one of the benefits that they see is just what you described, consistent supply at a consistent price for a really high quality product. And because we don't have to, um, because we're not affected by some of the things that ocean farming is affected by, ours is a production system. So we can produce salmon week in and week out. And the fact that it's a controlled environment means all of the uh, environmental um, effects on feed, on, um, on on whatever, you know, I don't know fish that well, but there are plenty of environmental uh, variables that affect fish abundance as well as their quality. And this takes those all out. I know I'm, I'm probably saying things you already know. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> but, I think that's good. And you've, you've said exactly what the benefit is, is, you know, our fish are healthy. They're grown in a very controlled environment under strict biosecurity. And so, yes, they're going to grow out their happy fish, their healthy fish, um, and we'll be able to bring those to market on a weekly basis. 
and maybe you guys haven't talked about this too much, but is this the kind of thing where you will bring this out when this rolls out that you're going to really lean on the fact that this is bioengineered for sustainability? Will this be a proposition um, that, that tells people, you know, this is an exciting use of technology? It's absolutely part of um, the benefit structure and the messaging that we're going to use to position our product. Because as you said, when I think about why bioengineering or biotechnology is so critical, it's to be, it's to deliver consistent food at a, an economic um, price and in a sustainable way. That's why biotechnology is so necessary for us to feed the world sustainably. And this salmon is the first example of what we can do with a bioengineered animal. That's pretty exciting. And so if, if, is there, uh, or can you talk about what's next in the pipeline? Are there more fish species or different ways that you're working to improve what's already there? Yes, uh, we are working on an aqua advantage trout that um, would have similar characteristics to our salmon. And we have a partnership with our major shareholder in Trexon on a gene-edited tilapia, which provides more muscle mass um, for the same growth or the same feed. And we think that that's another opportunity to bring more sustainable uh, protein at an economic price to the consumer. That's pretty cool. I'd like to see the Aqua Advantage walleye because you think about, <laughs> well, you think about these fish that are like the, you know, the salmon is great, great stuff. No cat, no, no doubt. Um, same with trout, but you know, you can't beat a freshly caught walleye in mm -hmm. terms of it's, you know, when you're, cause I'm, I used to fish up North all the time. We don't get those in Florida and I would be first in line for that one. There you go. Uh, <laughs> so well, the sky's the limit. The sky is the limit. It really is. And I think that, you know, the, the next generation of innovations, you know, and maybe that's a good question is, are there, um, now that you have a fish that grows quickly, are there other potential, uh, innovations that can be done to increase the nutrition quality of those, of those fish fillets? You know, that's something else that we're heavily involved in is the diet and the nutritional profiles of our fish. And once we're able to start um, growing those fish in commercial quantities, we'll work very closely with our feed suppliers to ensure that those nutritional profiles, because they are what we are, we all are what we eat, including our fish. And so we want to make sure that if there is a chance to enhance that nutritional profile, that we take advantage of that. No, very good. That's that's really exciting. I really appreciate your time with me here today. And 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 if people wanted to learn more about Aqua Bounty, uh, where could they look on social media, or maybe where could they you know read more? Is there a website, some other resource? Yeah, we have a company website which gives the the story of our fish, um, and also helps them understand the sustainability impact that we're going to have. And it's aquabounty.com. Oh, very good. That's really exciting. Well, thank you very much, uh, Sylvia Wolf, who is the president and CEO of Aqua Bounty Technologies. Thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Thank you, Kevin. Really appreciate your time. <laughs> And thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech podcast. Uh, write a review on iTunes. You know the drill. Tell friends and family about the Aqua Bounty Salmon. It's a great example of how technology can be used to create a, a sustainable product that can have tremendous benefits for the food insecure and also take pressure off of wild populations. This is the Talking Biotech podcast, and we'll talk to you again next week.
Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech podcast. Send your suggestions for guests, comments, or questions to talkingbiotech at gmail.com. Please write a review of this podcast on iTunes and recommend it to a friend. More downloads help us reach a wider audience with science. You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at calabra.app, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.